Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and uh, thank you that you're still speaking to us today by, by your scriptures, by your Holy Spirit. My request tonight is that uh, as we're looking at discipleship that we would really uh, lean in, sink into everything you have for us. Again, um, by your word and in your Holy Spirit or by your Holy Spirit, uh, we really don't want to just do life uh, based on our own understanding or based on um, just a- our own um, ideas and wisdom that we can make up or manufacture, but we really want to live a life uh, worthy of the gospel, worthy of uh, being sons and daughters of the Most High King. And so uh, we ask all of these things for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So, uh, like John said, and thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. And uh, I will take you up on the offer to bring my kids, who are among the most raucous children I have ever encountered, uh, take after their mother, obviously, and uh, test the acoustics in here and see if that invitation is really valid. We'll give that a go. You're up for it, yeah. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, my name is Don, and uh, usually I'm down at Glenelg, and I know uh, a bunch of you and have yet to meet a bunch of you, um, but it's a privilege to come and be able to open up Scripture and talk about discipleship, uh, and especially making disciple-making disciples, which is one of our four really key big ideas as a church uh, that we're really keen to see um, really permeate the church in Adelaide. And so last week I know you looked at how do we missionally engage culture with the gospel of Jesus, how do we actually engage people where they're at and, and talk to them, herald the goodness, witness to the greatness and the majesties and the beauties of Jesus. Today we're looking at how do we become disciple-making disciples like Jesus well, commanded us to. Uh, we also talk about how do we train leaders, how do we raise up people into the things that God is wanting them to do and operate and, and perhaps potential ministry opportunities as well. And then uh, finally, our fourth big idea as a community as a church is to multiply communities. So we want to see, we've got a bunch of discipleship groups, people who meet together during the week for discipleship, which we look at today. Uh, we want to see more discipleship groups multiplied. We want to see more churches launched throughout Adelaide so that we can see more of culture missionally engaged, more people come to know Jesus, more people um, discipled in him, and uh, more people trained up for the ministry. So this is what we're doing, this is what we're talking about. And uh, really this part, make disciples who make disciples, um, everything else that we do really comes back to or is around this. So when we come together and we worship together, that's part of discipleship. That's part of becoming more like Jesus. Uh, it's part of obeying his commandments and learning more about him. When we go out and we um, missionally engage culture, that's so that we can make disciples. Again, like Jesus commanded us to, when we train up leaders and, and raise people into um, the ministry opportunities that God is preparing for them and good works that he's preparing in advance that you would walk in uh, so that you'll be full of joy so that you can actually grow in your discipleship and so that more um, of culture will be missionally engaged with the gospel. And when we multiply communities, it's to see all three of those things happen over and over and over and over again. Because when Jesus was about to go, uh, he's, he's um, about to go, he gathered his disciples together. And we'll look at what does it mean to be a disciple. So when we're using this word disciple, don't freak out if you're thinking, I don't know what you mean when you say this word disciple, but you're using it a lot. We'll get there. He gathered his disciples together and he said, well, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's his key 
thought in that whole paragraph, in that whole commandment. Uh, often, if you read it in English, you think go is the main imperative, but it's really make disciples. It's just baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. We often miss that last little bit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And it says, and I'll be with you until the end. So it says, go and make disciples. It's the thing that he uh, doesn't just challenge his disciples with. So he's got some disciples uh, and he's not content with just that small batch of people who are following him and had really given up their whole lives and committed to giving their whole lives up for him and for his sake. But he said, now go and, go and make more disciples. Uh, baptize them in my name. Make, make me and the Father and the Holy Spirit the most precious thing to them and teach them everything that I've commanded you, including to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what we're doing right now is part of being obedient to Jesus when he said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you because he commanded us to go make disciples. Does that make any sense to everybody? Awesome. Logic. All right, I do want to go through this passage that we talked about here because I think it speaks to discipleship really fantastically, especially when it comes to Paul and a guy that he was really mentoring. And at some stages, he calls him like a son in the faith. Uh, like a, not a biological son, but he loved him like a son and had trained him up as a disciple of Jesus like a son. And uh, this is a part of this discipling relationship he has here. So he goes on from the beginning, uh, in, in the beginning of this, and it might, as John was reading it out, might not have sounded particularly encouraging. He says, for people will become or be lovers of the self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Anyone want to own up to that one? Just me. All right. <clears throat> Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Anyone want to? Not to brutal. No one go there. Um, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. That is that is brutal to to think about somebody being swollen with like actually so full of conceit that that their very cells expand because they're so swollen with conceit. Hashtag swole. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. That is a rough way to start some encouragement. That's what we started tonight with Paul's encouragement to Timothy. And man, my hope is that you weren't sitting there going, oh yeah, that's me, or oh, that's me, or oh, that's me. But, but, but maybe you were with some of those going, ah, oh, okay, that's, um, you know, disobedient to their parents. We can probably all own up to that one. Um, lovers of self, if we're really honest with ourselves, we'd probably give a check to that. Lovers of money, no, none of us would like to think, like, none of us would go, yeah, we love money, but if you had to look at what you spend most of your time doing and what you spend most of your money on, you might actually come around and go, actually, maybe I do love money. Uh, proud or arrogant, uh, ungrateful, unappeasable. Some of these things are really, like, they've got our number. And as a culture... Uh, that's what we're reading here is really represented there, which is amazing. And the thing that I find really amazing is that Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a leader in a church or, or a bunch of churches, and he's talking about the people in the churches. So he's not talking about, oh, those evil people out there. He's saying, it, like in the heated pews of the church, you have people who are heartless, slanderous, without self-control, Brutal, not loving good, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, 
but denying its power, that is a harsh rebuke. And it's a warning for us, I think. What has this got to do with discipleship? What, what, you know, why would we start here? I think it's for the next part. It's the contrast here from what Paul is saying. He actually says, avoid these kinds of people who would come into the church and say, yes, I am, I am, I am a Christian, uh, but they're actually, by their works, by the outworking of their life, are displaying to you that there's actually, perhaps, no real heart transformation. And this is one of the things, this is one of the, the major things we're going to talk about tonight is lots of people love to claim Jesus as their saviour. They love the Jesus who loves people. They love the Jesus who's covered over their sins. Man, I think anybody can come with that. If you sit down with anybody with any kind of uh, just rational thought in, in their minds, they can come to the point where they realize, yeah, I'm not a perfect person. Anybody can realize that. And for somebody to say to them, you're not a perfect person, but somebody's covered for those sins, covered for your deficiency. Uh, you've missed the mark, but somebody's come and done that on your behalf and applied his perfection onto you. Most people would say, yes, I, this sounds great. But then Jesus doesn't want to just be your savior. He also wants to be your Lord. And that's where discipleship comes in. And this is if you've had like a really long uh, weekend already. I was at a fourth birthday party yesterday morning. It's my son's fourth birthday party. And I've already given you a glimpse into the kind of four-year-old that he is. Uh, so there's lots of running around on my behalf. Uh, if you're, if you're, you're not going to make it to the end of this sermon, here's the big idea. Uh, we nobody that claims Jesus as saviour can also not have him as Lord. Or if you want to claim him as saviour, you must claim him as Lord. And this is the start of discipleship. See, in our, uh, in the Christian culture in Australia in particular, and heavily borrowed from America, we have this idea that what we want to do is, maybe discipleship is a good idea, but we want to create people who have made decisions for Jesus. And so I've been in, I belong to movements and been on boards uh, of things with um, like, you know, rock concerts with sometimes really good preaching, sometimes average preaching. But the, at the end of the day, what was valued is how many people put up their hands at the end of the night. And what we'll see tonight when we're talking about discipleship is uh, that is all well and good. And if that is how you started discipleship, or that's at some point on your discipleship journey, I'm not trying to uh, say that's not valid. That's great. That's amazing to come to a position or a point where you actually acknowledge your need for a saviour, acknowledge your need for God as your Lord, but if that's all you have, just the one-time decision, and you're not actually a disciple, we'll see very soon that you may have the appearance of godliness but actually deny its power. So let's, let's get started here. Uh, verse 10, this is what he says. This is Paul writing to Timothy again. He says, You, however, saying th- these are what some people in the church, they look like they've got Jesus as their Lord and, and their Savior, but really they're claiming they're clinging to the Savior part they're trying to escape the fires of hell, as it were, but they're not actually, there's no heart transformation. There's no heart change in these people. He says, but you guys, but, but you gathered here. This is what he would say to you. But you, you followed my teaching, he says, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. I put it to you that this is not a blueprint. I don't want to give you like, here's a checklist for discipleship. And if you can tick off all of these checklists, then congratulations, you are a disciple. But I put it to you that uh, when we model after Jesus, like Timothy modeled after Jesus, like Paul modeled after Jesus, and like Paul modeled modeling after Jesus to Timothy to model after Jesus, if you can follow me, 
You write that down? Great. Then you show the marks of someone who has that inward transformation. So firstly, this is, what, this is how Paul's laying out what it means to be a disciple. He says, you followed the teaching, the gospel of grace in Jesus. Tim Keller says, believing in Jesus doesn't mean that we get a new start on life and must simply try harder to live better than we did in the past. If this is your mindset, you're putting your faith in yourself. What um, Paul is saying is it starts with actually believing in Jesus. That we're not, it's not like a, here's a clean slate now, try better. It's Jesus has done everything that we couldn't do. He has filled not just the whole gap, but the entirety of fulfilling the law and the prophets. And he gifts us with this grace. He gifts us with this undeserved love. He gifts us with his own perfection because we were unable to do it. And not only that, Ephesians 2 tells us, he gifts us the faith to receive that grace. So Jesus has done everything necessary for us to be a disciple, everything necessary for us uh, to have right relationship with Jesus. Joseph Hart, uh, way back in the 18th century, in a um, hymn wrote, Come you weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry or if you wait, if if you hold off until you're better, you'll never come at all. So what he's saying is this, Jesus has done the work for you. Uh, don't, try to, don't wait until you've got your life together before you receive the gospel. The gospel is for those who don't have their lives together. The gospel's for those who have listened to and followed the teaching, like Paul has said, that we've all fallen short, that none of us have lived up to that mark, but Jesus has done it for us. It's beautiful. Augustine said, saving grace is God's giving us a sovereign joy in him that triumphs over all other joys and therefore sways the will. Spurgeon put it like this, the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. So, uh, so after following teaching, like Paul says, he also gets to imitate my conduct. So in, um, Spurgeon says, the grace that doesn't change my life will not save my soul. He's saying, not that you're not saved by your works, but your new life will put on show your transformed heart. So he says, Paul says to Timothy, imitate, you have imitated my conduct. Discipleship is us becoming more like Jesus. If you want a really like succinct definition of what it means to be a disciple, because if we're charged, if we're commanded to go and make disciples, we need to know what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who has been saved by grace, received that grace through faith in Jesus, and now someone who is becoming more like Jesus as the Spirit does his refining work in them. That's what it means to be a disciple. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, this is who he's talking about. This is the charge. And when he says, imitate my conduct, it shows us as well that it's not just us as a bunch of individuals. Like It's not just like 50 or 60 individuals in this room all going about our individual business trying to emulate Jesus. But because Timothy has imitated Paul's conduct, it means there's been some life-on-life action. It means there's been people who have invested into each other uh, another, in another letter uh, to the church in Galatia, Paul says, bear one another's burdens. You see each other's burdens, take them on each other's shoulders, and in doing so, you fulfill the law of Christ. You can't do that unless you're in community with each other. And here, uh, Paul said to Timothy, you've imitated my conduct. We've done life together as I have pursued Jesus, so you have pursued Jesus like me. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And when Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, can we, as disciples, 
say to other people, like Paul did to Timothy, or to the Corinthians, imitate me like I imitate Christ. Because if you want to be a disciple maker, like Jesus commanded us to, that's what's needed. This is a great responsibility. And what I'm not trying to do is is heap obligation and heap duty and, and give you a checklist of things to do. What I'm saying is, that a mark of a heart that's transformed is one that's pursuing Jesus to the degree that you can say, imitate me like I imitate Jesus. And you're not saying imitate me because I'm perfect. You say imitate me because when I fall or fail, I repent and pursue Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. This is the heart of discipleship. Discipleship happens in community as we grow in Jesus, become more like him, lead more people to him. It's not about wanting to attain, attain some sort of perfection or again, some sort of checklist that we're going, here's a, here's a list of behaviors, so I'll do all of those kinds of behaviors and then I'll be a good disciple. No, it's about doing uh, life in community with each other. That's why we're so big on discipleship groups. That's why we call them discipleship groups. Like other places have things like um, connect groups or community groups, missional communities, life groups, real life groups, um, like home groups, small groups, Bible study groups, all these kind of groups. And we do all of those same kinds of things, but we call them discipleship groups to emphasize what we're actually doing in those groups. It's about making disciples. But us firstly being disciples and then discipling each other and pointing each other towards Jesus and then committing to each other to be the kinds of people who would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That, I mean, that requires uh, a certain level of maturity on our behalf that we would, we would commit to that and commit to each other. Jesus uh, said in John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you must also love one another by this. So by this love that you have for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So a mark of being a disciple of Jesus is the love you have for other disciples of Jesus. And we can only show that love that we have in community. That's why church or, or gathering uh, in a church like this and in gathering uh, midweek and then gathering throughout the week and being in community with each other, even if you can't, like the internet is a wonderful thing for being able to communicate with people, not to uh, take over face-to-face communication, but certainly to supplement face-to-face communication. Uh, to actually bear one another's burdens doesn't necessarily require you to be with somebody, but it does require occasionally and, and sometimes, and I would say often, to actually meet together, like the writer of Hebrews tells us to do, to meet together, to carry about that mission of loving one another just as Jesus had lo- has loved us and bearing one another's burdens. This is a call and a mark of discipleship. He says we have the same, we can't go through all of these individually. He says we have the same aim in life, the same kind of faith. So some people gathered around Jesus when, as he was walking around, some people came to Jesus because he was giving out free food. Fed 4,000, fed 5,000, some gathered to him because they were sick and needed healing. Some gathered to him just for the show. Man, it would have been spectacular to go and see Jesus on earth 2,000 years ago and just see him at work, hear him. Some people just came for, for the teaching. They're like, man, this guy, has got some really good, he's a guru. We want to go and learn so that we can also be gurus and go and be like mini gurus in our, in our own little world and take these pithy statements and, and model a life after them. Lots of people followed Jesus, but not many were his disciples. And i put it to you, this is what Paul is saying in his letter to Timothy here in, in chapter 3 of his second letter. There are lots of people following Jesus, or at least claiming to follow Jesus, but not all of them are his disciples. Not all of them are actually 
pursuing Jesus and Christ's likeness. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, like this is what he actually said to his disciples. He would gather them together and said, you want to be my disciple? You've got to pick up your cross daily. And this is before he went to the cross. This is before he went to his death. Every single person gathered with him would have walked the roads, the Roman roads, and seen people, sometimes you know, one or two at a time, sometimes dozens, sometimes maybe even hundreds of people nailed to crosses, nailed to planks of wood or trees lining the roads as a, as a warning. You better behave, you better obey the law. They would have all seen this stuff. And Jesus here says, you want to follow me? You want to actually be my disciple, not just someone in the, in the congregation, in the gathering, you've got to pick up your cross daily. Say, man, you've got, to, you've got to die to yourself and make me most important. He said, you want to follow me? Um, he, he talks about um, someone who wants to um, build a tower. He said, no one, no one builds a tower before first counting the cost. And he said, you want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? First, you must count the cost. You must consider the weight. We saw in John 13, you must love one another. When he says, make disciples, he, uh, making disciples is not, like I said before, just whipping out some spirit keys and having like a really uh, emotionally driven uh, moment where we, out of a desire for Jesus' saving work, which is a legitimate, a legitimate desire, put up a hand and bow our eyes and say a prayer, Jesus says, uh, you need to somberly count the cost of discipleship. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Being a disciple of Jesus is it's a weighty thing. And before you think, man, this sounds a bit crushing, uh, what, what about the joy? What about the goodness? What about, you know, where is the love? We'll get there. Um, Paul, again, says to Timothy, you shared in my patience. You had the same love as me, the same steadfastness, the same persecutions, the same suffering. You were you had the same rescue from the same Lord. All of these things are saying, this is, these are the marks of discipleship. And again, I'm not trying to give you a checklist where you say, well, I need to now pursue patience, and if I just get my patience in order, then I can be a disciple of Jesus. No, 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 no. All of these things are in response to uh, a heart that's been gripped by the gospel and the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of the, the gospel of Jesus. It's just a life that's living out, outworking the, the inward transformation. In verse 14, he says, but as for you, as for you, continue. Ephesians 3 says, be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, in the inner person. Continue to be strengthened. Luke 22 uh, says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. He's talking to Peter in particular. Um, but if you look at John 17, for example, we see Jesus prays for his disciples gathered and for every disciple that would come, every disciple that would be a disciple based on their testimony, based on uh, the scripture that they would write as inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's, Jesus prayed for us that we would persevere. He says, persevere, continue in what you've learnt, in what you've firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learnt it, being rooted in scripture, and being wise for salvation, meaning applying the gospel in life and community. So this is what it means to be a disciple. These, these are the outworkings of someone whose heart has been gripped by our love for the wonders of our Lord Jesus. Somebody who 
is in that first half of Timothy, like someone who just goes to church, maybe someone who is around, who's come because of the miracles, come because of the good teaching, who's come because of uh, being, you know, fed, someone who's come because of the spectacle or, because, you know, they want to skill up in knowledge or any of these kinds of things, are the people who, who have the, the, the guise or the look of godliness but deny its power. The churchgoer um, might maybe... Um, put on a show to hide his weakness, but a disciple shows weakness to display the gospel at work and the glories of God. A church goer uh, will claim their rights. A disciple will lay down their lights, their rights. Church goer will balk at correction. Like if I'm doing something and someone says, no, no, Jesus says this or this isn't for your good. Uh, someone who hasn't been radically transformed by the gospel will say, wow, who are you to tell me what I can do, but a disciple repents. Church goal might be all about me, but a disciple is all about us following him. Church goer would delegate their spiritual maturity and discipleship to an organization or to a, to a church organization, uh, but a disciple pursues Jesus and encourages others to do the same. Church goer outsources their acts of righteousness, care of others, etc., to a pastor or a mercy team or a government, but a disciple actively takes care of others actively bears one another's burdens, actively looks for ways to love one another just like Jesus has loved them. A church guy wants to shape a community around them to fit them, but a disciple lets relationships and teaching and accountability and the Holy Spirit shape them. A church girl focuses on a certain repertoire of songs or a style of sermon or a feeling that they might get, but a disciple pours themselves out in worship and is filled up with joy. Church goer uh, maybe chucks in some loose change or whatever they happen to have on them at the time when they come and gather, uh, but a disciple takes responsibility for their community financially. Churchgoer might leave his or her coffee cup, uh, chewing gum, rubbish, plastic wrapper, uh, etc., lying around where we meet, but a disciple of Christ um, treats our shared resources like there are shared resources, like we're a family because we are a family. Church goer approaches Christian community as a consumer. Disciple approaches the body as a contributor. A church goer expects to be served and that other people will make stuff happen. Uh, but a disciple looks for opportunities to serve. Want some more? We'll move on. We'll have some more. Okay. Church goer attends an organization and consumes goods and services. Uh, but a disciple means you belong to his family. Church goer notices some problems and complains. A disciple notices a problems, a problem and finds solutions. A churchgoer checks the box on a Sunday. Yep, went to church. Jesus has to love me. Uh, whereas a disciple pursues life-giving relationships and mission throughout the week. Churchgoer sees meeting together as another option in a list of options subject to a better offer or if nothing else happens, come up. Uh, a disciple knows that we're not the body without them here. We're not actually, we're not all of us here unless we're all of us here. I want to say here, I don't mean just like this gathering. I mean, and we meet uh, midweek in our discipleship groups when we uh, do mission activities together. Uh, a churchgoer comes for the formal hour and a half as a sense of duty, but a disciple enjoys fellowship with other Christians outside those times. Churchgoer might rock up when the service starts or, you know, 15 minutes later, which is kind of city-like tradition somehow. Uh, but a disciple prepares her or his heart before we meet together. And again, the danger of hearing these things is that you'll hear them as a list of, of duties or a list of things where you say, well, okay, here's, some, here's 20 things 
All I have to do is do all these 20 things and then I'm, all, then I'm cool, right? Then I'm all right. That's, that's the goal. That's not the goal. These are just marks of someone, women and, and men, who have been radically gripped by a love for Jesus, who have seen his beauty, who have seen his excellencies, who have seen who they were in their sin, dead in their rebellion against Jesus, but also see who they are in him. They've been saved by Jesus. They were loved and are still loved by Jesus. He emptied himself so that uh, we could be filled. He faced separation from the Father so that we could have relationship with the Father. And what he said to us is, I want you to go and extend this invitation, this welcome to others, but not just the welcome, not just inviting them into the family, but then being family with each other. That's what it means to be a disciple. Disciple is not just a one-time decision. A disciple is daily laying down your life, daily preferring the needs of others, daily applying the gospel in your own life, daily going to God uh, and, and seeing his mercies that are new every day. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is who we are. We're saved people. We've got a loving father and we are inviting people into this same relationship with him that they would meet him and know him as father. They would meet us and know us as their brothers and sisters. And as we um, travel together and disciple each other into the likeness of Jesus and, and say to each other, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, uh, that we all would have that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit uh, working in us, actually chipping away at not just the edges, but at the, at the heart and making us into his likeness. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple requires us to count the cost, requires us to uh, sober-mindedly consider what it's going to be because Paul says at the end of this passage here, uh, we can be confident everybody, every disciple of Jesus will face hardships. Every disciple of Jesus will come under some persecution. Uh, Every person who picks up their cross daily will come against people who um, just by the very nature of you having laid down your life will take offense at that. Just by, say, just by you declaring in your own life that Jesus is Lord will um, expose in them their own claim to the throne of their own hearts and you'll face persecution. We need to soberly consider the cost, uh, but also uh, soberly consider the joys of being a disciple of Jesus. So these aren't a list of requirements, just the outworkings of a life that's been gripped by the beauty and the majesty and the awe and the wonder of a loving God who loved us so much that even while we were still sinners, while we were still rebelling against him, and even though we still fail him, he made the way by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross for us, to face that separation on our behalf, that God would pour out his wrath upon Jesus instead of us, that we could have good relationship, right relationship, perfect relationship with him forever and right relationship with each other forever. This is what it means to be a disciple. And so when Jesus says, go and make disciples who make disciples, this is what, for me as a disciple who wants to make disciples, I have just signed up my whole life for. It's what I'm doing. And what I want to say to you is imitate me as I imitate Christ who laid down his life for his friends, who loved us and commanded us to love each other in the same kind of way. And as I endeavor to love you like Jesus loved me, and I will fail and I will, Lord willing, repent, 
would you imitate me as I imitate Christ? Let's pray. Father, we again thank you for not just uh, your word and not just your Holy Spirit in us, although we we thank you and praise you for these things, uh, but we thank you for this call to discipleship that uh, it wasn't just that you made some abstract payment or transaction to purchase us from our sins, but you actually brought us and have brought us into relationship with you, that we would know you, be known by you, that even though uh, like we're still sinful, we still rebel, uh, you love us, that even while we're still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us, you loved us uh, in advance of our reception or receiving of your love and your mercy. We just, we thank you. We know this kind of love and grace demands a response that's not frivolous and um, it's not just something that we tack on or add to our lives, but uh, because we have been transformed and redeemed and renewed by you, we need to live redeemed and transformed and renewed lives. So help us in this endeavor. Not that we'd um, grab, grab onto law uh, to try to earn our righteousness, not that we would um, find our favor in our obedience, but that we would just revel in the love that you have showered us in. We'd revel in that and glory in that mercy that you've poured out on us, that we can be called children of you, your children, that we'll be in your family. Help us to pursue that great level of discipleship that works itself in love for you and love for each other. Help us to be about your mission of making disciples, Um, not just those one-time decisions, but that people would um, consider the cost, uh, weigh it up, and respond to the gospel of grace uh, with life, eternal life of discipleship. We pray this in Jesus' holy name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.